We're thinking about uh, David this morning, and David, the Bible tells us, was a person after God's own heart. But he's a person nonetheless. He was human, and he got things wrong. And in what we're going to read this morning, in a moment, in chapter 25, is how David did get things wrong. But there's a background to that in chapter 24, because chapter 24 shows the nobility and the integrity and the character of David being formed into one who honoured God. David has been anointed by Samuel. He's slain Goliath. He's been with Saul and then had to flee because of Saul's jealousy. And, and he's become an outlaw with a, a band of brothers, as it were, hiding in a cave. And he's hiding in a cave, pursued, as it were, to the death by Saul. And Saul comes into the cave and David has the opportunity to get his revenge. And to David's men, there in that band there, desperate people, they say, this is your chance. This is God's plan, David. He's put him here so you can kill him. But David was wiser than that. The men thought it was providence. David saw that circumstance and providence are not the same. And circumstances never trump obedience. David will not slay the Lord's anointed. And this is a high point in his life. But high points don't always last. And we get to chapter 25, which I'm going to read part of just now. Uh, not the whole chapter, we'll kind of fill in as we go along. But uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and to your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not ill-treat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore be favourable towards my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned round and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, Each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, 
David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled he hailed insults at them. And then we read on in verse uh, 23. Abigail decides she has to do something about this. And she gets various things and she goes out to meet David and says in verse 23, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, let me speak to you, hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He's just like his name. His name is fool and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed, from, from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. And in verse 32, David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord. It's God's doing, you see. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. And then in verse 35, he says, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. May God bless to us the reading of his word and before we look at that uh, in some more detail uh, we can have another another song from brian only by grace can we enter we're thinking so much about grace this morning only by grace can we enter only by grace can we enter Only by grace can we stand Not by a human endeavor But by the blood of the Lamb Into your presence you call us You call us to Into your presence you draw us And now by your grace we come And now by your grace we come Lord, if you mark our transgressions Who would stand? Who would stand? Thanks to your grace, we are cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, if you mark our transgressions, who would stand? Who would stand? Thanks to your grace, we are cleansed by the blood. Of the Lamb. Only by grace can we enter. Only by grace can we 
stand not by a human endeavor but by the blood of the Lamb into your presence you call us you call us to come into Precious Jesus, now by your grace we come, Holy Father, now by your grace we come. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that we would, by that grace, come to you and accept your word. And we pray we could store it up in our hearts for now and for always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you ever wonder at yourself? Do you know yourself? You think you do, after all these years, surely, after all that you've been through, after everything you've done, all the ups and downs of life. And then something comes along, and your reaction surprises you, it shocks you, maybe even frightens you. You didn't think you could do that. You didn't think you could say that. You didn't even think you could think such a thing. Where did that come from? Why did I do that, you say? One day we seem to be in control with God where he seems to be with us and things go okay and the next day everything seems to fall apart just like a house of cards and it's our doing, we've done it, we've done the wrong thing. And then what? Do you shrug it off and say, well, that's what happens. It's not a very good idea. Or do you go away and crawl into a hole, find somewhere dark, telling yourself you're never going to go out again that's even less of a good idea. And it's also unnecessary to do that. Do you know yourself? Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. So says John Calvin at the very beginning of his magnificent book, The Institutes of the Christian Religion. But so says the Bible... And so says the story of David. If we had to learn about God, we need also to learn about ourselves, what we are like, the state of our hearts, and what we are capable of. And anyone who says, I would never do that, well, maybe they need to learn something. And as we get to know ourselves, we see our need of God. And that's important, to see our own hearts without pretense, with all that we do wrong and with all our inconsistencies and from there then to see God and how in his grace and mercy he grants us repentance and forgiveness. There's no doubt that in one way or another we come to church uh, because we can't see it but there's a sign outside every church that says only sinners welcome here and so we're aware of that 
the way we fall short, we cross the line, we rebel against God, however you want to put it. We do everything except perhaps submit ourselves to him. And we need to know that the gospel is true, that Christ died for us. He died for me and you, and that is our hope, because we can despair of our inconsistency, the way that we blow hot and cold, the way we do so well one day and fail miserably the next. Just like David, we need to know that grace is there for us, that Christ is greater than all that we go wrong, that he has the last word, not our sin, our failures. Now the story of David, it shows us the road to the throne of Israel for the king. And of course, King David was a forerunner of Jesus, the true king of Israel. But it also shows us that only Jesus is the true king. All others are human beings who uh, proceed or succeed rather only by trust in God. And they often fail because they don't do that, just like we do. So what we have here is not excuses, as it were, so that we can sin so that grace may abound. This is to give us encouragement when we go wrong, to remind us again of the grace of God. But David got it wrong in 1 Samuel 25. And but for the grace of God, through Abigail, through her wisdom and her humility and her godliness, he would have got it even more wrong. He would have, as she said in verse 30 that we didn't read this morning, but she says later on, she saved him from the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. He didn't need that on his conscience as a cloud over the rest of his life as the king of Israel. God prevented David from real trouble when he could barely see until God showed him. So what's going on here? Well, we see for a while here in in chapter 25, a different David to the one who refused to avenge himself on Saul in chapter 24. Just like us, one day to another, we're so different from one circumstance to another, we can be so different. Now, of course, we say David was provoked into this wrong reaction. And in the last chapter, he has Saul within reach after a long, long buildup of provocation from Saul. He'd been hunted in the wilderness and relentlessly pursued. And here it's more of a sudden case. It provokes a hasty reaction. And David is concerned for his men, and in this he is quite right. Hospitality was and still is very important in Scotland, let alone in the Middle East. And he and his men, at cost to themselves, have protected naval shepherds throughout the year. And they've been as a wall around them. And that's emphasized. And he never abused them in any way. But Nabal has wealth. And someone pointed out that Nabal's wealth is is actually shown to us before we'd actually seen the person, Nabal. His possessions were so important to him. This is what identified this man, Nabal, what he had. What he had made for himself. So you get his possessions, then you get, oh, by the way, this man's name was Nabal. But his wealth was due in no small measure to that protection from David's men. When he speaks in verse 11 of my bread and water, what I have slaughtered, it's largely because of David. It's not his own doing. And people who sometimes talk about the things they have 
will bear, do well to bear that in mind as well. But that's the side. David wants his men now, rightly enough, to have some share in this harvest. It will be common hospitality. But instead of welcome, the men are insulted. Nabal's own servant sees it exactly that way when he reports the situation to Abigail in verse 14. He hurled insults at them. Notice that expression, hurled insults, because it comes up later in a different context. He says there to, uh, to Abigail, the servant says to Abigail, he hurled these insults, yet these men were very good to us. They did not ill-treat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over, Abigail, and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. So this is a needless provocation from a man who was not very nice to know. A person who was churlish and boorish and foolish, just not wise. Maybe we know such people. Sure we do. Maybe if we think about it, sometimes it may even be ourselves, us. Maybe it's us at home. We put on a face when we're outside, but... When the door's shut, there's a change. It's certainly not unknown, is it? Nabal, however, was known for his surliness and his mean dealings. He had plenty of everything, but grudged sharing it. As someone I used to know said, he grudged you a spot if he had the measles. People like that need sorting out. The question is, whose job is that? To sort them out. No doubt his wife had tried, his faithful servants would have tried, his business acquaintances would have tried, and none had got very far. And on this occasion, David decided it was his job to sort him out. And it wasn't just going to be a matter of character improvement, was it? It was far more drastic than that, 400 men with swords. What's happened to David? Where is the man in the cave in chapter 24? Well, it's the same person, isn't it? The same human being with passions and pride and self-righteous anger. And we can understand the way he felt because we felt it ourselves. Insults perceived or real that have come our way. That offence taken. That genuine unfairness, which it is now. And in our concern for others, David, for his men, who deserve better. This reaction, this feeling, it's a human condition. Mixed motives at best, right and wrong. Hypocrisy at worst, inconsistency certainly. In the heat of the moment, so sure of ourselves. And most of all, in this change and this inconsistency, from one day to another, this is the human condition. David ready to leave justice to God and not take it into his own hands one minute and the next thing just the opposite because we're fickle creatures and there's no excuse for it. We're just sinners, that's who we are. I remember listening to the late Dominic Smart, Dominic, great preacher from Aberdeen. He died last year, sadly. He wasn't very old. But I remember listening to him once speaking in Romans 1 to 17 and he stressed there something 
that we may forget. Speaking to a, a, a meeting of Christians, often mature Christians, a lot of them, and he says, we always need the gospel. It's not that we need the gospel to get converted and after that what we need is the teaching. We need to know this gospel every day of our lives, that Christ died for our sins because we are sinners. That we can never stand before God in our own righteousness. It is only by grace that we enter, as Brian was singing. Only in the righteousness of Christ. No merit of my own, I claim, but holy trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. And the older we get, and the further on we go as Christians, the more we realize that all else is sinking sand, especially my own self-righteousness. Sin is always there, but thankfully and wonderfully, so is Jesus Christ, so is the gospel, the cross that saves us. And we see that in David. We see that humanity in need of grace in the gospel. That incident in the cave was the high point in his spiritual experience. Would he stay there for the rest of his life? No. Here he is with Nabal. Justified in his feelings of offense, very probably, although it's doubtful. And it's only natural we protest. But is natural always right in every case? What this shows is merely the truth of what God says that sin is a power in our lives beyond our control, which is why we need the gospel and the power of God to salvation in Romans 1.16, every day in life. And in chapter 26, we find David again refuses to kill Saul. He has another opportunity. And he has another high point in his life. But several chapters later, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David, now the king, commits adultery with a good man's wife. Yesterday's grace will not supply today's need. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. We say that in almost the same breath. We need forgiveness. We need the gospel every single day. So David was wrong in his hasty reaction. And it could all have turned so much worse if Abigail had not acted equally quickly to prevent him. We have God's preventative grace working through Abigail to protect David from himself. We read there, Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sears of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys. Then she said to her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal, you can bet your life she didn't. This woman in particular, who could do little about her churlish husband, but could at least limit the damage with David. Not just for herself and her household, but for him as well. She knew, as her husband obviously did not, that he was a good man, honourable if a bit ragged, but a man of God who could be appealed to. An appeal she did in a very moving and honest way, as we read earlier. 
That's not the persuasion, is it, of one buttering someone with influence, buttering them up. It's a true recording of the situation from one person of integrity to another. She does not say her husband is other than he is. He's a fool. He's not worth all this. She's prepared to acknowledge David as a true uh, master here. And she asks for forgiveness because she knows there's been offense given. She knows also that David is uh, the king in waiting. She says, the Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because you fight the Lord's battle. And as such, she knows there should be no wrong to cast up against him in later years or to blight his integrity as a king. No one trolling through his, his old emails and so on to find, oh, 20 years ago you said this, how can you be fit to be a king now? She doesn't want that sort of thing. She knows that his life is bound up in God. She says, even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies, you will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. I wonder how David felt when she said that. He remembered Goliath and his sling and God's hand upon him there. So easily did God deal with David's enemies. So we see how he could deal with someone like Nabal without David going over the top. And later on we find that's exactly what happened. And it's an amazing speech for all, all that it covers. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel... My Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember my servant. She understood what God was doing, not just with David, but with Israel. She could see the bigger picture. And we see a wisdom, we see a godly character, we see a peacemaking powers. What a wonderful woman she is. Thank God for a sensible woman. This woman who the other versions talk about as a woman of good understanding. And it ends with peace between them. Abigail brings the gift, the offering and the apology. David acknowledges that he's been delivered from a seriously wrong cause of action, from avenging himself with his own blood. And he realizes, I wonder with how much of a shock what he could have done. And God brings it home to him, which he says, praise be to the Lord, because he can see God's hand in this, saving him from himself. And this is a point, isn't it? Like David, when we fall or fail, the important thing is to acknowledge it. And as long as and as many times as we go to God, it's as many times as and as long as that, that God will pick us up again. Every time he will pick us up again. Sometimes we do something and we realize what the consequences could have been and it sits on us for a long time. It's like a more trivial example, perhaps, but you overtake somebody on the road and then you hear a horn blast behind you. You realize you pulled out in front of someone and didn't notice they were there. And you realize what could have happened. 
And that stays with you a long time. You slow right down and you hang right back and you say, I'm never going to take any, overtake anyone ever again. You do, of course. But that moment brings you down to size. And in spiritual things, it's the same. We can fall and fail and it makes us feel so small and useless and the temptation is to stay down and not go to God and think he doesn't want to know. He does. He does. One of my, I know it's favorite, it's the right word, but one verse that stuck with me most of my life now when I really needed it. And it's Micah chapter 7, verse 8. Check it when you, when you go home if you want to. Micah chapter 7, verse 8. Rejoice not over me, mine enemies, when I fall, for I shall arise. Though I sit in the dark, he will bring me out to the light. Proverbs puts it much more sensibly. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. Ah, but you say, I'm not righteous. But you are. In Christ, you are righteous. If you've come to him sincerely and in repentance and faith, you are. And that's what we're saying earlier about needing the gospel all the time, every day of our lives. Because all of the ground is sinking sand. In Christ, we're back on our feet on a rock, not to be discouraged. We are human. We're not to say, oh, we're only human, because that's used to excuse all kinds of things. But we are human, and we'll always need to know and believe that Christ died for us. And only he has lived that righteous life and laid it down for us on the cross. And David was persuaded to leave it to God. And later on, there was someone who knew that supremely. When they hurled it, that expression, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep, oh yes. You were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus did not retaliate. Only he didn't. But he's there for us when we go wrong. And that's the gospel. For every day in life, when we're up, when we're down, for better or for worse, the gospel we always need. And today, this very morning, this is what we need again. May God bless his word to us.